This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being with us. I think Ecclesiastes 8.14 expresses the thoughts of many of us at times when it says this. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say, is meaningless. Well, a bit hopeless, too, because we know our God is good, that he loves us, that he redeemed us through Jesus Christ, and that in the final analysis, we will find our eternal hope in him. But in the meantime, we do have to wrestle with this problem of suffering. And so we're going to talk about this today with Melvin Tinker, who is vicar of St. John Newland Hall, where he has served since. 1994. He is the author of many books and articles, including his latest, If God is So Good, Why Are Things So Bad? What a question. Melvin, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and it's good to be back with you, Janet. Thank well, you. It is excellent to talk to you. I know the subject is not a happy subject, but it's always an honor to get your thoughts on these important topics. This is really the question, isn't it? Wouldn't you say this is the question that is the ultimate question that seems to come up? How can I believe God is good if bad things happen? That's correct. That's that's the objection that's mainly thrown at, uh, at Christians. Uh, you know, if you do believe in a good God, then how do you explain the appalling things uh, that are going on? Uh, but it tends to be a sort of objection raised, I would suggest, from a, a position of uh, perhaps sometimes pride or or, um, or ignorance, because um, if there's no, for instance, if, if there is no God, uh, and that everything is just a result of blind, uh, meaningless chance, then what is considered to be suffering is also meaningless. True. Uh, it has no more intrinsic uh, moral quality or immoral quality at all. It's just there, like, you know, you've got fungus, you've got dry rot, you've got hot water, you've got cold water. It's just a fact of, of existence. So why the objection? Um, and and also, it also, I think it, it, it does actually betray a deep-seated belief, which I, I think I do believe God has placed into us, that we do believe that there's such a thing as right and wrong. Yes. Otherwise, why should we uh, consider that God has done something wrong? Where, where do we get the notion of uh, right or wrong from if there's no God? Yeah. So yeah. the fact that we're thinking, oh, there's something not right, seems to indicate within us that A, we believe there's a God, that there is a good God, that, you know, uh, he, he, at least he should have made things, work, you know, um, in a way which works out well. But for some reason, they're not. Uh, now, what is the reason? That's right. That's the question. And I think you're on target there when you say the, the fact that people feel an injustice in and of itself is really pointing to the fact that there is a God. It's like one apologist said at one point, you know, to the angry skeptic who said, I don't believe in God. He's terrible. He does this and that. And he said, now tell me again, which God you're mad at, <laughs> you know, exactly. which God don't you believe in? Yeah. Tell me, um, the, tell me the yeah, God that's doing I, all these I'm, bad things. Right. 
That's right. And, and this is one of the key turning points in C.S. Lewis's conversion from, from, atheist, uh, from atheism. Uh, because the, the sort of conundrum he came up against is, look, I, if, if, uh, if I'm saying, look, there's, there's evil in the world, then where do we get the notion from? It's like saying, well, look, uh, here's a crooked line. Well, that presupposes that there's such a thing as a straight line, yes. which I can compare it to. Uh, and so this you know, pushed him in the direction, again, of, of, of believing in God. That's right. That's a really good point. What do you think is the starting point for understanding suffering? Would it be the character of God, or would it be the fallen nature of man, or would it be both at once? We have to understand both at once. Well, I think it'll be, there'll be different starting points depending upon who you're talking to. But I think, um, as far as Scripture, I mean, what the book I've written, uh, If God is So Good, Why Are Things So Bad, um, the subtitle is The Problem of Suffering from Job to Jesus. And, and so what I'm, I'm trying to do, in, uh, what I try and do in this book is to unpack uh, the story of Job, work through it. I mean, it's a massive book, so this is a, you know, sort of summary of it and the main points. Uh, but also how, uh, in fact, Job himself actually prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who is the suffering man par excellence, right. suffering very much suffering unjustly. Yes. And yet there's a reason uh, for it. So. And, and, and the turning point for Job, of course, is, um, and indeed there's, well, they call them counselors, but they're not counselors in terms of, uh, like, a pastoral counselor. They're more like sort of, um, you know, sort of prosecutors, actually, against Job. But the turning point, actually, for Job is the encounter with God himself. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that <clears throat> is the case for most people. So, in, in other words, yes, I think we've got to, the, the real, our real problem is that our God is too small. Hmm. Uh, we think he's like man writ large, and, and man is, twin, is simple and twisted anyway, so we think God is a bigger version of that. But no, uh, we've got to get it the other way around. Uh, God himself is holy, God himself is just, and God is pure. Job knew this, and this was part of his... Uh, is, is, uh, the agony it wasn't simply the physical agony, but the sort of spiritual mental agony. God is just, I know that, I believe in that. Uh, God is all-powerful, that I also believe. And yet this has happened to me, an innocent man. The world is messed up, Job chapter 9. Um, and so if it's not God who's behind this, then who is? Right. Ultimately, I believe God is, is, is behind everything. He, in that he's a controller, he's a uh, creator, sustainer. But nonetheless, there's also a malevolent power at work, uh, which is the Satan. Um, so I think we've got to think of all these things, the, 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 that God is creator and good and just and true. There's nonetheless, the, there's a malevolent, evil power, spiritual power at work, and human beings uh, are rebelled against God and, 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 uh, and accuse him of all sorts of things and, in fact, make a mess of things. But mm-hmm. God vindicates Job in the end. But first of all, as it were, God vindicates himself, which is the important thing. And that, of course, we see God doing in Jesus. That's right. Oh, yeah. And I want to dive into all of that. One of the things that strikes me is when you're looking at Job and what he suffered and why he suffered, um, that was a different situation than perhaps the man who goes to a bar, gets really, really drunk, gets behind the wheel of a car, veers into an oncoming vehicle and kills a family of four. At least that man will say, well, this horrible circumstance, I, I ended up killing four people because of my actions. I went to jail because of my actions. I lost everything because of my actions. In the case of Job, where people 
you know, don't understand it. And Job himself didn't understand it. It was, well, wait a minute. He's been a blameless man. So why was it that God allowed Satan to do what he did to him? And, and even now I hear Christians saying, I don't under, it wasn't like Job did anything where God needed to test him or give him a hard time. So why didn't God tell Satan no? <laughs> yes. Um, well, um, the, 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 the tussle that's going on throughout the book of, of Job is trying to reconcile, uh, to, to deal with three it's put put forward like a court case, actually. There's a court case, and there's those people, those things, people in the dark. Right. One says there's God in the dark, and and the Satan, as it were, puts God in the dark right in the beginning in chapter one by saying, "Look, um, you've got okay." God says, "What about my servant Joe?" And he considered him, and uh, and the Satan basically comes back to God and says, "Well, actually, um, I'm going to accuse you of setting up an unfair system uh, because." Uh, it's all right for Job. Yeah, of course he could be pious, and of course he could be religious. You put a hedge around him. Yes. Anybody who's got a good life can uh, can believe in you, but you take away those things from him, then see he'll curse you to your face. Right. And 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 so God says to the Satan, "Okay, you go ahead, but there are limits. You cannot touch the man himself. You can't take away his life." Uh, and so, um, it. it in a, in a sense, it's, God is, um, I mean, Job is, is really being honored by God to be tested. I yeah. mean, we may say, well, boy, I'm not sure if I want to be honored that much, but, <laughs> right. but, but there's an honor in, in, in that, and he, and he came through. He was vindicated. Right. That's one, God is being accused. The second is that Job is being accused by his, um, um, his, his, his so-called friends, and he's being accused of being a sinner because they think, well, how how else can we understand this? Uh, so Job is concerned with, with uh, clearing his name, that he's a righteous man. And the third element is this idea of the retribution principle at work. Hang on a second. I want to get to all of it, but we do need to pause for a quick break. Reverend Melvin Tinker, if God is so good, why are things so bad? We'll come back right after this. Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Hi, this is Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, and I want to send a big thank you for standing for life to you. Because of listeners like you in 2020, Preborn sponsored over 45,000 free ultrasound sessions to women in need, saved over 31,000 babies, and prayed with over 6,500 women to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. The battle rages on in 2021 at an even greater level. And our goal is to give Planned Parenthood the biggest competition ever. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 
402 baby. That's 855 402 2229. Or there's a banner to click at janetmafford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. If God is so good, why are things so bad? It's the name of the new book from the Reverend Melvin Tinker and the subtitle, The Problem of Suffering from Job to Jesus. This is a subject we all can talk about, can't we? This is something that we all wrestle with to some extent. And yet there are a lot of answers, Melvin, as you've mentioned in the book of Job. You were talking, for example, and I was raising this kind of this playing the devil's advocate here, um, not you know to coin a phrase, but asking, well, will people say, well, Job was such a good guy. Why would the Lord allow Satan to attack him? But you've pointed out the fact that Job was tested in this way really was an honor. And you're right about that. But now you've also talked about his friends and the angle that he was accused by these friends. Job's comforters, you know, is a a real (laughs) crazy phrase we use when we try to say thanks, but no thanks. But you mentioned this retribution principle and how the friends really were saying all the wrong things to Job. Talk a little bit, if you would, about the retribution principle and what that was all about. Sure. Well, Job's um, so-called counselors, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and, and Zophar, uh, brought him to the idea that uh, the sort of a very strict and straightforward um, principle at work in the universe, you do good, good things happen to you, you do bad, bad things happen to you. Yes. So they look at Job's life and think, well, look, there's bad things happening to Job, he must have done something bad to, uh, you know, to, for, for this to happen to him. And to some degree, um, Job sort of buys into it, to some degree, but, he, but there's a tension because he knows he hasn't been that bad. So there must be some other explanation. Now, as you pointed out, Janet, uh, earlier on, that there's also an element of truth in it, um, in, in that if we, um, you know, live a stupid life and do, you know, you know, drink ourselves silly or whatever it is with alcohol, then don't be surprised if bad things happen. You end up with liver failure or whatever right. it may be. Right. But these guys simply personalize it so that whenever something bad happens to somebody, is, as it were, God has set things up in such a way in his universe, that's the way it's always going to be work out, going to work out. But we know that's not true. We know it's not true because of Job, and supremely, of course, we know that it's not true because of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, I think about it's John... A cruel, it's a cruel yeah. doctrine. I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty close to what you know Islam believes. True. Uh, oh, yeah. Because Allah is this very distant, uh, law-giving uh, God, and it's a very mechanical way he set up the universe. But the God of Job, as revealed, especially toward the end, is certainly a powerful God and an awesome God, but also a personal God and a caring God and a very gracious God uh, in the way he treats um, 
Joe's uh, friends at the end because they did pretty wrong. Yeah, they sure were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. I was going to say, when you mentioned Islam, I also thought of Hinduism because they look yep. at the, yeah, the untouchables. Well, you deserved it because you were bad in a former life. So why would we help absolutely. you? That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I also thought about John chapter nine, where Jesus is asked about the man born blind. And they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Couldn't that also be said of Job, ultimately? Absolutely. That, that's, um, yeah, that's, a, as we have a New Testament insight onto it, because in, in, in fact, we've mentioned, I've just mentioned three of Job's counselors, but we're talking the fourth one who comes in at chapter 32, a man called Elihu, who's a younger man, um, and a, a sort of angry young man, as it were. <laughs> but he, he actually turns on those three men and said, look, I've been very quiet for a while. I've respected my elders. You're older than me, so I've sat and listened to you. But you are wrong in what you've said about Job. And he also turns to Job and said, look, you're wrong in what you've said about God. There's another way of understanding suffering. And that is as an instrument of correction, of mm. sanctification, yes, um, and and also of of demonstrating God's glory, and um, and so he sort of pursues that uh, strand, and and I think in many ways that's the way the New Testament mainly deals with it in terms of of, of Christians, um, that um, you know we we. Um, uh, God uses suffering to knock some of the rough edges off us and to, to sanctify us and to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He does. So as, as Paul says, you know, that uh, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Um, and um, character produces hope. Yes. Um, and so there's that element. And I think at the end of it all, when you look at Job, right at the end, although he was a good man to start off with, He's a better man at the end yeah. because he's a deeper knowledge of God and a greater humility than perhaps he had at the beginning. Right. Oh, yeah. All of that is true. And I think those those middle chapters, obviously, Job is a very long book, but those middle chapters where the mm. friends are going on and on and on, and you just feel for Job. You're like, oh, these people are the worst. Like, find new friends, Job. This is awful. But when, you know, it raises a question for me, though, because... We all, I think, have experience with Job's comforters to some extent. I think everybody could probably come up with a story of somebody who said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Maybe their intentions were good, but it made it worse. How yeah. how does God use that situation of, of a friend who means while well, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, as unfortunately even Christians can do sometimes? How are we to think about that? Well, I think... Uh, I mean, in a sense, within this sort of understanding that, um, you know, that, that God will use even well-meaning people will say the wrong things. Yeah. Um, and and how, the question then is, how do we respond to those things? Um, one is, well, we can just shrug our shoulders and walk away. The other is that we can actually engage with them, which is what Job tries to do, uh, and, and to try to persuade them, although it seems their mind's made up. But the other thing, too, is, is sometimes, you know, it, it's part of us um, learning patience uh, in dealing with, with folk who do hurt us right. and, and, and grieve us, um, as happened again to the Lord Jesus. 
people That's right. did the same. You know, he always saved others, let him save himself. Incredibly cool to say to a man who's hanging on a cross. Yeah. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So even that can be used as, as, a, as an instrument in God's hands to, to make us more like Christ. We can't do it on our own. I know I can't. Uh, and that's why we need God's Spirit to help us. We sure do. We sure do. I, I also appreciate that you say one of the main lessons in the book is there is an irreducible element of mystery in all suffering. Yeah. I, I think we all would love it if the Lord would give us a ready-made answer for what we're going through. We don't always get an answer. I would say in most cases we don't get an answer. Why is it that we always think everything has to be tightly wrapped up with a bow and explained to us in terms we can understand when we are the clay and he is the potter? You've... Um Put your finger on it. Really. <laughs> the, the, the problem is, is that we think that he is the clay and we're the potters. Mm, amen. That that's, that God is answerable to us, uh, that he's got to give an account to us, when by definition he doesn't. You know, the, the, the potter, you know, the pot, again, Jesus, uh, sorry, the potter Paul takes that picture up, doesn't he? Yes. It's not for the pot to, to, to go back to the potter and say, hey, you, why have you made me thus? Right. He's the potter. He has every right to make us as as we are, and to use whatever it means he chooses to to shape us and to make us into the people uh, he wants us to be. So part of that is, in some cases, I think um, this mis- misplaced idea that somehow we're the center of the universe and God owes us a, not only a living but owes us an explanation. When in fact he doesn't. If he gives us an explanation, that's very kind of him and gracious. Uh, but in one sense, he's already done it. He has given it. He may not have given an explanation, gives us an explanation to a particular suffering yes. that I'm enge- undergoing at the moment. But by his revelation in Scripture, he has given us the the lens through which we can look and understand suffering yes, that's in true. a way which begins to make some sense. I agree with uh, that. Yep. But we can never explain it totally. There is always going to be that element of mystery. Well, there is when you talk, you know, you mentioned Paul and in Romans nine, but also I think about Paul asking the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh. And, you know, here's the Apostle Paul. If anybody ought to get a break, right? People think the Apostle Paul should get a break. I asked the Lord to remove it and he wouldn't remove it. He wouldn't remove it. And even Jesus, his famous prayer, if it be possible, Father, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but thine be done. I mean, even the Lord Jesus asked the Lord, his father, to remove the cup. And it was not to be. He submitted to the Father's will, and he paid the ultimate price because he was the righteous, and he was giving his yeah. life for the unrighteous. Nothing on, you know, from man's point of view is more unjust than that. Mm-hmm. But but even Paul, on reflecting on his calling in the flesh, whatever, whoever that was, did come to some understanding of a possible uh, reason for it, because he'd had these wonderful revelations. Yes. Uh, he'd been to the third heaven and back, it seems. True. And he says, in order to prevent me from becoming puffed up, God gave me the thorn in the flesh. Yeah, you're right. You're and, right. and that's part of our problem, um, is that we're, we're very proud creatures. Um, and um, I, I've certainly found in my own experience, the times I have um, come closest to God and have experienced God, uh, most intimately, not being, you know, during the great times and where <laughs> hmm. it was healthy and everything's falling into place, but, but no, um, the, sometimes the dark times, the, the struggle when 
all the support had been taken away, and who else have I? Yes, that's right. Um, and that's when, uh, again, thinking of Joe's encounter with God, the, the knowledge he wanted, and craved, and I think we all do, is not so much some philosophical or theological answer, why is this? But we want to know God himself. We want his comfort and his presence. That's so true. what Job longed for in the end. That's what he got. That's exactly right. Well, there's more to talk about. We're talking with Reverend Melvin Tinker, his book, If God is So Good, Why Are Things So Bad? The Problem of Suffering from Job to Jesus. I'm Janet Mefford today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back to Janet Mefford Today. My guest, the Reverend Melvin Tinker, his book, If God is So Good, Why Are Things So Bad? The Problem of Suffering from Job to Jesus. We were talking a little bit before the break, Melvin, about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and I wanted to read a little portion of that uh, passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because I think this does shed some light on Job's suffering as well, retroactively, when he is begging the Lord to take away his thorn in the flesh. He asks uh, three times of the Lord that it might depart from him, and Paul says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, certainly, had he not had that thorn in the flesh, would he have arrived at that conclusion? So you can see what the Lord was doing in his life. He was rejoicing because the power of Christ was made that much more magnificent because he knew any success he had in ministry, if you want to call it that, it was all the work of God. Indeed. In contrast to the super-apostles, uh, he, he counted in, in 2 Corinthians, yeah. that were sort of glory-apostles, um, boasting in their revelations, in their powers, and their miracles. Uh, and and uh, Paul would have none of that, because those sort of theologians of glory are just involved in self-glory, uh, whereas um, Paul was so Christ-centered. And and again, I guess this takes us back to something you said earlier, you know, why, why Job? Why would God choose Job? Um, you know, if, if, I sometimes think, well, you know, it would, if um, Satan would say to God, well, who, who should I choose? And he wouldn't, yeah, and so well, have you considered Melvin Tinker? He would laugh because I'm such a failure. Hmm. <laughs> so... For someone like Job, who, by the way, was not uh, an Israelite, um, he's, he's a believer in Yahweh, but he's not uh, an Israelite, uh, and yet such a righteous man must mean that uh, he was exceptional, uh, and he was exceptional. Um, and in this sense, too, he's appointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, um, the most exceptional human being 
uh, whoever lived to go to became man. So true. That's so true. Well, you know, you said something earlier that I want to pick back up on because I think this is such a central point. You had mentioned in your book that Job wanted God. He wanted to meet with God. He wanted to hear God's reasons and explain this injustice. But that is such a crucial point. He wanted God. And I mean, that's that in the end, it seems to me, is why he, his faith didn't ultimately fall apart because his faith was never about his possessions or even his family or even his physical condition, although it was horribly painful and the trial of his life to go through all of that. But to maintain that trust, I mean, how are we to maintain that kind of trust in our own trials, looking at Job and seeing that angle that ultimately he wanted God himself? Well, this is, again, we, we are to, when one thinks of, of, of Job's um, place, as it were, in, in the unfolding of God's revelation and, and history, he's in a very early um, place. But where we stand, um, this side of the cross and resurrection, uh, we have a, a, a much firmer foundation to believe in the goodness of God, and that all things work together for the, uh, the good for those, of those who love him because of, of the cross of Christ. And here we see, in one sense, from one perspective, the worst event that ever happened. The, the, you know, when God comes to this world, what we do, we do, we murder him, we murder our maker. That is a, a wickedness beyond words. And at the same time, it's the best event ever, because mm. this is the means whereby sinners are saved. And then we have the resurrection um, and, uh, and and all that that points to the new heaven and the new earth and and victory over death and Satan and sin. So we can. It's not simply a matter of looking. We, we do look in our own experiences and we look back and well, yes, the Lord has been faithful here. We look at the lives of other Christians and we take uh, great um, uh, assurance from from God's work there. But the place we've got to go back to over and over again, we cannot leave there, is the cross of Christ. That's right. This is where we see God's mercy. This is where we see God's justice. This is where we see God's victory over Satan. When everything looks like it's the end, it's not the end. No, it's not. Don't you think that that's part of our problem? That we become very self-involved when we're suffering and not always, that's not always, on you know, something that's a bad thing because clearly if you're going through cancer or some trauma of some sort, of course you're going to be concerned. That's going to consume your whole mindset and everything that's going on in your life. But at the same time, I think it's difficult for all of us, it certainly is for me, to ever take my suffering and put it in a greater context, something that God easily does. And is that not part of our problem to go, I'm just focused on my sickness or my hurt or my pain I'm not thinking about this, Lord, in terms of the grander scheme, and I'm also sometimes not thinking about the ultimate victory that you won at the cross and how you will come back and you will set all things right when all is said and done. Yes. That's correct. In, in one sense, it's, it's a natural thing. I mean, I don't like pain. I don't even like going to the dentist, you know. Yeah, me neither. Uh, <laughs> um, I recoil from it, you know. Pretty good man, really. <laughs> um, uh, but... Um, you, you, you're correct that um, the it part it's part of the human nature. It's also part of the fact that we live in a culture where we have high expectations. I'm thankful that I live in the 21st century from the fact that we have such fantastic facilities from a medical point of view and drugs and uh, and, and and so on. Um, but that also has a downside from the Christian point of view in that 
it creates an expectation that um, things can be cured and cured quickly and it's got to be now or yesterday. Yeah. Whereas our forebears uh, didn't have that. I mean, uh, you know, um, many didn't live to, um, you know, to be 40, if you were 50, you were a very, very old person, was now 80, 85, 90, you know. Yes, um, so our perspectives have changed, our expectation, expectations have changed as well, um, which makes, it a, makes us perhaps a bit more impatient and a bit more demanding. But as Christians, if we have a renewed mind, we've got to look at it differently and think a bit differently, and so experience things differently. That um, the thing that matters most is God. And and, and so Job just saw that he wanted to, to see his Redeemer. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. He, he believed that one day he would see him in his own flesh. He would see God, and that's what he wanted. Uh, and um, certainly my from pastoral point of view, the, the people I have found to be the, the deepest, the, the sweetest, the most authentic uh, human beings uh, as Christians are those who have been through the mill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, they testify to God's faithfulness and kindness uh, in the midst of the difficulties, compared to others who seem to have everything on a plate, and they're not the shallow people. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and when you going back to the Job's comforters problem, one of the side effects of, of being, you know, going through something like that where someone is not helping, even though they're trying to help you, it, it makes you more compassionate, more empathetic. I mean, I, that, that yeah. I have seen happen. People who are hurt can sometimes become bitter, but Christians who are hurt often can become more compassionate. And again, that's, that's the, yeah. the spirit working in us to bring about more fruit and to conform us to the likeness of Jesus, which is our goal anyway. That's right. That's, that's absolutely right. And that's, in, in a sense, part of, um, you know, going back to, to John 9, uh, why is this man born blind? Uh, in order that the works of God may be seen and God be glorified. Right. Well, similarly, um, God is glorified in His people and through His people through works of compassion. Yeah. That the world can see. You know, compared, you know, to the think again of the the birth of the uh, of the church uh, in the first century, where. And it was a very cruel civilization, Roman civilization in many ways, and, um, uh, you know, um, if, if people were ill, you, you left them outside, and babies were allowed to, you know, die of exposure and so on. Christians said, no, we will take them in, we will care for them. And it was partly that, uh, when Roman cities and so on were hit by plagues, Christians stayed behind and looked after the ill. That's right, uh, that's right. And, and it was that kind of testimony which, which won the pagan world. That's exactly right. Great point. We're going to have to pause for one more break. If God is so good, why are things so bad? Reverend Melvin Tinker with us. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, and I'm joined today by Matt Bellis with Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. Matt, the rising costs of health insurance have really taken a toll on a lot of people, especially during this pandemic. Why do your members recommend Liberty HealthShare? Well, it really does change the way that you approach healthcare when it comes to healthcare sharing. 
because each individual member of Liberty HealthShare is what we call a self-pay patient or a private pay patient, where we're each individually responsible and able to guide and manage and direct our own health care free from the constraints of government controls or third-party insurance systems. It really changes the whole methodology by which you approach health care to where you start seeing yourself as the owner of your health rather than just somebody who's entitled to a program because you paid some money. And we see lower costs, greater accessibility, and frankly, better outcomes. Tell us about the personal interaction that your members experience with Liberty HealthShare. Well, it's important in Liberty HealthShare to know that we're not just bodies in need of getting our bodies fixed. (laughs) We're also spiritual beings that need to be in relationship and connection with other people. So in our system, online system that we call ShareBox, we have what we call a prayer box, where our members come together to pray for each other in times of need, to help support one another, and let everyone know that you're not alone. During these times that are unprecedented and can be very lonely, you've got an entire nationwide community right behind you, praying for you, here for you as an individual and a member. Thanks, Matt. More information about Liberty HealthShare is available at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, or their phone number is 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Reverend Melvin Tinker, vicar of St. John Newland Hall, is with us. His book, If God is So Good, Why Are Things So Bad? And talking about the problem of suffering from Job to Jesus. Of course, when we get to chapter 38, this is really a turning point in the book of Job, Melvin, where the Lord answers back. And this is what Job has been waiting for. And the verse that always really stands out to me is from chapter 38, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it and on and on and on right away, just putting perspective on problems. I am God. And this is one of the things Job always kept right, didn't he? That God is sovereign and that he's good, that he's righteous. And, and uh, here we get the vindication in one sense of Job's belief and faith but it's even bigger and greater than even he considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not that God is, um, as well, some people have taken it like this, some of the liberals, you know, like God is bullying uh, Job into submission, not at all. Um, there's uh, any, any more than when we get to heaven and we see, we, we encounter God in his, his splendor and, and grandeur. Um, we'll be bullied, no, we'll be uh, overawed, and we'll be humbled, and, but that's our proper position. And when we occupy our proper position, we, God occupies His as God, and we, we worship Him as, 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 uh, as Job did. Amen. You know, I repent in dust and ashes, and I cover my mouth. Yes. Uh, I've spoken of things I shouldn't have. Right. Um, and that's a proper response, and then He's truly the creature before the Creator, and that's the point in which he can then uh, embrace 
God's uh, God's goodness. Yeah, that's an amazing portion of Scripture. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, there are those, and you talk about this in your book, there are those who will read the end of Job and say, oh, so the lesson is God may test you, but then he'll give you more stuff than he ever took away. I mean, that is not that is not the takeaway from the book of Job, yes? <laughs> it's definitely not the takeaway. No, hang in there, and you'll get a reward at the end. Yeah. Not, it, not at all. No. But, but chapter 41, uh, the, um, sorry, 42, the, the final chapter is, is absolutely crucial um, to the whole of the, the, the book. It is a right uh, conclusion uh, to it. Uh, I was at a conference uh, a few years ago, and uh, uh, there was a speaker, she, she's now a, a bishop, a woman, was, uh, who um, said, oh, of course, chapter 42 does not belong to, to, the, to the original book. It was added on much later. Trust me, I'm a theologian. <laughs> and uh, when anyone says, trust me, I'm a theologian, that means I don't trust <laughs> Me them. too. You know, you <laughs> me too. Yeah, right, exactly. And, uh, but what we've got here is, in a sense, um, it, it is fitting... Any, it, if you like, the way I sort of put it is that in some ways, um, chapter 42 is, is like the book of Revelation is to the rest of the Bible. It, it is the fitting culmination of, of, what, of, of God's mercy. It's not that Job is rewarded in the sense that, oh, you, you've hung in there, here's your reward. He's rewarded in the sense that this is the outworking of his faith. It's the blossoming, the, the, the fruition of somebody who has faith in God. Right. Uh, and, uh, and similarly, it will be for Christians um, in, uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, and, and the Bible does speak of rewards. We will get them. But it's not that we're in it in order to get the reward, but because we're in it, we'll get the reward. Yes, exactly. Well, you look and you talk about Job prefiguring Jesus Christ, which is absolutely the point. We need to understand this in light of Jesus' suffering and burial and resurrection. Isaiah, though, predicts Jesus' suffering. We know when Isaiah writes, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. So for many Christians who might be new Christians, they'd say, but why do I have to suffer? Why did, I mean, Jesus could have just died. Why did he have to go through the crown of thorns? And why did he have to be whipped and spat upon and suffer the humiliation? And why, how does God use suffering for good? And that I think is the essence of what a lot of people ask, which is, couldn't God do what he's doing without adding on all that extra suffering? Well, again, uh, even to ask that seems to betray the underlying belief that if we were God, we would do it better than He. True. Um, or we would certainly do it differently, and probably we would do it better. But no, if God is all wise, if God is all good, then this must be the best way and the only way. Great. Um, and 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 I think. Part of the problem when we, we consider uh, Jesus' sufferings and is, is that we can look at them as, as well, almost unnecessary, you know, just over the top, um, you know, punishment and, and, and uh, maltreatment. But that's because 
Um, we don't appreciate the dreadfulness and the awfulness and the wretchedness of sin. Right, that's right. And, and the affront it is to, to a good and righteous God. Again, it's, it's back to this idea that our God is too small. Hmm. But the God of Job, the God of the Bible, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who is holy and pure beyond measure, and yet a God who is full of immense love yeah. and, and concern and passion for his creatures. That his son would undergo such a thing, which is what we deserve and more in our place, in order that we may be made into his children. Yeah, really well said. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's, I mean, such a such an important thing for us to remember. The, the other th- verse that comes to mind for me is Hebrews 4.15, where it says, for mm-hmm. we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, yeah. but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. In suffering... Jesus was also identifying with us. And there is, you know, the language of the Bible talks about the fellowship of his sufferings, that there is a communal aspect, it would seem, to suffering, that as Jesus suffered as a man, he was understanding, you know, as the God-man, he was understanding our weaknesses, but we also understand his sufferings for us. I mean, there really is a mystery there. It's so deep, you almost can't even explain it. (laughs) That's correct. Yes, the thing is, with the Incarnation, uh, which I've written another book on, by the way, which will be out in October. Oh, great, great. <laughs> it's a bigger book. It's a bigger book than this on the Incarnation. But it, is that, um, this means that, I mean, God, by definition, knows all things. He's omniscient. That's what God is. But because of the Incarnation, God also now, as it were, has a, has, has a, has a special kind of knowledge, knowledge from the inside of what it means to be human. He yeah. knows, in one sense, all things, and he knows what it means to be human. But experientially, as it were, because of the Incarnation, the second person of the Trinity becoming a human being, undergoing the whole of the gamut of human experiences, say he did not commit sin, hmm. means that God, we have a God who knows from the inside what it is to live like this. And when Job, going back to Job, says, I know my Redeemer lives, the term he uses is Goel, is someone who is someone who's able to sympathize with him, who will come and rescue uh, rescue him. Uh, and so again, it, you know, it's almost even there, there's a sort of reaching out to Jesus, where is this Redeemer? Well, we know who the Redeemer is. Yeah. And uh, and so it's not simply that we have a God who, as we, we confront in his splendor, both in creation but also in his own being, but we have a God who is in every way the as we are, and yet without sin. And Amen. therefore, we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. That's right. We, and there's no other religion in the world that even comes anywhere near this. Amen. Ah, it's so good to be a Christian. And I love what you say toward the end of the book. I've got to read it to people because it's so encouraging. You say the reasonableness of trust lies in the known trustworthiness of its object. And no one is more trustworthy than the God of the cross. The cross assures us that there is no miscarriage of justice or of defeat of love either now or the last day. So ultimately, everything is just and everything is right. And because God has set it right at the cross, it all centers around the work of Christ. And that is so comforting, no matter what you're going through, no matter what pain you're feeling, there is an objective reality that sets everything right. And that enables me, at least, to keep going, even if things are hard. Absolutely. And like I said earlier on, um, we've always got to go back to 
to the cross. We can never leave the cross. It's not that we're morbid. Uh, on the contrary, <laughs> uh, we're the most hopeful people in this on this planet. Amen. That's uh, so because true. Because we have this God, uh, wonderful, who who condescends to be with us, to suffer for us, in our place, to redeem us, and it will one day come and with him bring this uh, new. Um, universe I love it. universe into being. Yep, that's right. Well, Reverend Melvin Tinker, again, the name of the book, If God is So Good, Why Are Things So Bad? Thank you so much, Melvin. God bless you. Love the book. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. God bless. We'll see you next time on Janet Mefford Today. Thanks a lot for tuning in.